This is a personal and private recording by a member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Project Blue Book. Case file, 11004. Designated, Stonefall. January 6. Today, I met the Madman of Massachusetts. It's an interesting title. People have often used the word mad to discredit women or minorities. People the majority don't trust, or are encouraged not to trust. I've heard the word used to describe those who claim to have seen extraterrestrials many times. It's always seemed kind of insensitive. And what's more, for this guy, I'd say it was inaccurate. He's one of the sharpest people I've met while in Stonefall. He lives on the other side of the river, in what could only really be described as a shack. Legend, and that is an appropriate word, has it that he strolled in from Massachusetts one day, set up his shack, and started to live a peaceful and mostly isolated life. No one quite knows how long he's been around here. Occasionally, he comes into the town. He doesn't really talk to anyone, I'm told. He sits by the strange statue in the town square a lot. But just sometimes, he'll impart some kind of wisdom or advice to passerby. I've not heard anyone tell me whether his advice is good, and I don't really believe in prophets. But he's clever. And not in the same way that the inhabitants of Stonefall are, which I feel is a duplicitous kind of clever. He's literally burning with intelligence. It oozes out of every part of this guy. He calls people out for their bullshit, and I think that's why people discount him as mad. They don't want to listen to his truth. He welcomed me and the sheriff. Me a little friendlier. He's got scruffy clothes and messy hair. A heck of a lot of stubble, too. He offered us tea, but I couldn't actually see any tea-making facilities in the shack, so I passed. His answers were often rambling, but every tangent he went down was so interesting that I was always kind of reluctant to get him back on subject. I asked him about the kids. He said he didn't know them. But when I asked about the lights, he said he'd seen aliens, and a few years ago had even talked to one. Yeah, I know. I went to write it down, but he stopped me. He seemed confused by what the hell I was doing. I said it might help me find the kids. He told me that this alien that he'd spoken to had arrived in a craft that didn't have the same kind of lights that the one on the 28th did. It wasn't any kind of lead. I explained that if he genuinely had a conversation with an alien of any kind, I needed to know about them. He assured me they wouldn't hurt a fly. I didn't get to write anything down. He described this alien as like a human. He said they were in a military uniform, although they'd seemed confused when the man asked them if they represented any kind of organization. I suggested it may not have understood him, but the man shook his head. They understood me, I could tell. The man then described the figure as slender and with a strange tint to his skin, like he was silver. I asked him if this figure had said anything, 
and apparently it hadn't. I asked the man if he'd seen them since, or if there'd been any other indication another of their people had returned. The man said he'd seen lights in the woods regularly, many of which he couldn't explain. He suspected this race had come back, but not interacted with them since. So then I asked him again. These lights on the 28th, they were different to what he'd seen before? And then he paused for a hell of a long time, leaned forward and said, this time they weren't hiding. The sheriff hadn't been encouraging when we left, and I reminded him that it was the best lead we'd had. He pointed out that there had been no elaboration on the type of military uniform this alien had worn, no real description of their features, and of course, if it was real, they'd appeared years ago. So the sheriff dismissed it. A man in uniform walking through the woods. That wasn't unusual. I'd asked the sheriff if he'd been unnerved by what the man had said. And then he said something odd, which I've been thinking about a lot. Sanity is scarier. I'm not really sure what the full context was, but I knew there was a story beneath that that I was keen to uncover. We spent the rest of the day looking for the other half of the broken mirror that I'd been shown in New Haven. The sheriff said he vaguely remembered the first half being found in the initial search, but my finding another one with a string attached hadn't jogged his memory. He seemed irritated that I'd asked. He and his officers had already searched the woods multiple times, and none of them were best pleased to be going out there again. There are children missing, I reminded them. But the search revealed nothing. I headed back to the bar, feeling a little dejected, and the sheriff and his officers accompanied me. We tried to talk about anything other than the case, but that proved difficult. One of the officers asked us how our meeting with the so-called madman had gone. They used the phrase so-called, which I appreciated a lot. I said it was a difficult question, and let the table fall to silence again. I still don't really know what to make of the meeting myself. If he's telling the truth, which I want to believe, then today I've received proof that extraterrestrial life exists and is visiting us on Earth. Peter Lewis, Johnny and Martha's father, was in the bar tonight. I watched him closely, which the sheriff had noticed. But I suppose it's not like I was breaking an illusion of me being polite company. Peter was with his friends, three guys, none of whom I'd seen before. As the night wore on, he started to notice me. When one of the officers mentioned the madman again, Peter took his cue and came over to us. He primarily accused us of not doing enough, and said I wasn't really interested in his kids, just the aliens. I told him I was trying my best and trying to have a quiet drink. He said I should be out there looking. The temptation to say he should be out there looking was hard to resist. He then asked us if we'd search the bastard's house, the bastard presumably being the madman. It occurred to me in that moment that we'd never asked his name, nor been offered one. 
The sheriff assured Peter it was an ongoing inquiry, but that there was nothing to suspect the madman had any involvement. Peter bristled and called on his friends. They left. I hope he sleeps off the paranoia, but it didn't look like he's getting much sleep at the minute. I do feel for him, but I'm not entirely convinced the kids didn't just run away from their tyrannical father. As I made my way back to my room, saying goodnight to the sheriff and the officers, one of whom was almost blacked out after a few drinks, I noticed someone new at the bar. It was still busy, and people had been coming and going all night, but I hadn't seen this person enter. She was fair-haired and dressed smartly. She looked out of place, like she'd come from the city. I didn't go up and talk to her, but I looked over at her as I stepped behind the bar. She looked at me over the top of her drink. Her gaze was harsh, and it unnerved me. I felt like I was being analyzed by her. She reminded me a little of myself, and a lot of Elliot Hall. Was she from the Air Force too? Or was there another investigation going on in this town that I hadn't been made aware of? I hope time will tell. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer, read by Rebecca Malewish. Music by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Follow Stonefall Drama on Twitter for updates.